to the ASHP official podcast, your guide to issues related to medication use, public health, and the profession of pharmacy. ASHP conducted two surveys in late 2021 to better understand how ASHP can promote technician development through the advancement of patient care roles and increased responsibilities, and to address recruitment and retention issues within the technician workforce. The executive committee members of the Pharmacy Technician Forum and the section of pharmacy practice leaders met during the 2022 ASHP summer meetings in Phoenix, Arizona to reflect on the key findings identified from these surveys. During this fourth part of a four-part series, you will hear from Jeff Little, Director of Pharmacy and Outpatient Imaging at St. Luke's Hospital in Kansas City and Chair of the ASHP section of Pharmacy Practice Leaders Executive Committee. Joanne Myrie, Drug Diversion Program Manager at Alina Health and Chair of the ASHP Pharmacy Technician Forum Executive Committee. Lindsay Kelly, Associate Chief of Pharmacy at the University of Michigan Health. Mark Sullivan, Associate Chief Pharmacy Officer at Vanderbilt University Medical Center. And Lindsay Ameren, Executive Director of Pharmacy at UNC Health. They will share their reflections on the survey results as they relate to pharmacy technician compensation, and the impact of the COVID-19 pandemic on the technician shortage crisis. All right, let's noodle this a little bit more. 42% of technicians responded that salary was the reason they might consider leaving their current position. What are some of the biggest challenges to increase the pay of pharmacy technicians? And on a larger scale, what are other factors that should be considered when discussing salary? Thanks, Hannah. I can start with that. A few different things that come to mind when, when talking about this. So one is the idea of the educational requirement and what the requirement is for the position. So compensation at our institution is who will kind of determine the pay raise. If we make a new position on their compensation department, we'll determine what the pay raise for that is or what the pay rate for that is. But that factors in like the experience requirement and then the educational requirement. So the higher we make those requirements, the higher the pay will be. However, in the situation of a shortage of candidates as we currently have, then the higher we make those requirements, the fewer people will find to be able to even do those positions. So that's a that's a balance that we have. Two, our health system has seen really, I would say, a, a pretty drastic increase in the, the minimum wage that the health system pays. So for any job in the health system, we're now paying a much higher rate than we were two years ago, which is great. But what that has done, though, is it has compressed a lot of positions. So where technicians, the, you know, the entry-level technician position used to be several dollars an hour higher than some of the other more entry-level positions. Now there's, there's much more of a level playing field which actually has caused the technicians to feel less valued and to feel like there's some other jobs in the health system they could do that would maybe be easier jobs or less rigorous jobs than some of the work that they're doing, you know, doing medication deliveries or even the stress of working in the IV room or something like that. And then the third issue I would bring up is the issue of advanced roles. So sometimes we are able to create advanced roles for people um, that they do have a higher pay rate. However, then we run into the issue, and Mark spoke about this a little bit before, when you're looking at, at market adjustments, that it's easier for them to do market adjustments for a pharmacy technician against other pharmacy technicians in the area. But if you have a 340B coordinator or investigational drug service coordinator that's like an end of one position, it's very hard to do that. One, even if you specifically ask for it, it's hard for them to do it. But then two, sometimes our compensation department do these large market analysis at the same time 
at some of those positions that have like less than five people and just get completely left out. So then we have had situations where we've had our tech threes, which like, as I said before, everyone in the institution could be a tech three instead of in the pharmacy tech role. We'll be jumping some of the people that are in the more advanced roles that have college degree requirements and stuff. So then we have to go back to conversation and say, well, no, actually this was higher. So it's really a challenge to make sure that we're doing it in an equitable way across the board and that nothing is missed. Yeah, I'd agree, Jeff. I think as we've talked throughout this whole podcast, all of these issues are multifactorial, right? So there's pros and cons to everything, and there's similar or similarities, if you will, into challenges, right, with each of those different parameters. And so, you know, definitely education requirements is a challenge, especially since we do not have a national standard. We have our best practice of what that we feel that should be, but it's not implemented, right? And it's not, the rubber hasn't hit the road yet when it comes to that. And so that creates that challenge to your point of having those entry levels with advanced roles inside your career ladders, right? That, you know, you're going to have that disparity within those pricing or pay scales. And so then that brings us back to the wage grade systems that we have, um, that we're held to with our, you know, other processes and, and HR folks that we, we work with. And it goes back to that education again. So the challenge of how do you change that narrative to really be more specific in that specificity of the requirement for a specific position, whether it's an advanced role or it's part of your tier one, two, tier three, so that you can create the equity, but yet still have that distinction for some of those different challenging roles that your technicians may have. And then, of course, just the job. Right. And so the challenge of the job is healthcare is stressful and it is not for everybody. And you're going to have those folks that come in that will only last a handful of years. You might find out in three months, but you more than likely aren't going to find out till that four or five year potential piece. And so then what? And how do you change that so that they're feeling again engaged, valued, respected? Because those are all the things that are going to, on top of the wage, those are the things that are going to draw people away. And so you're never going to be able to rebuild that if you can't find a happy medium. As we've talked, we don't have the silver bullet, unfortunately. But at the same point, how do you still make it better? We can still aspire to be better. And what will that look like? And so I think it's multifactorial. And unfortunately, there isn't going to be a silver bullet that's going to help us fix these challenges. We're just going to have to kind of work through and pick them off one by one and look at the ways where we can make the change and make the difference and then move on to the next and then hope that what we did prior is sustainable and that it helps set us up to continue to be successful. I think you guys did a really nice job of talking about complexities of trying to attend to salary and especially when you start considering degrees and how that fits into people's lives. I think because of those complexities, we've been thinking a lot about things that are outside of that range, but might impact the overall cost to the employee. So some of the things that I like to think about or talk about are, are there ways our medical centers can invest in the community around our health centers? Many of our health centers are in um, urban large cities. Cost of living is higher even than what the state average might be. So when we go back and we talk about the cost of living and and the inability for low-wage earners to even afford housing nearby. Can we, as medical centers, invest in housing nearby so that our staff 
you know, whether it's, you know, offsetting that cost so that our staff don't have to commute, they don't have to pay for that and figuring out ways to get them close to home. Um, there was a study done by a group out of Harvard around this. Uh, it was a while ago now, and I can't remember the name of it, but they did find that that had overall positive impact and it decreased turnover issues, but also decreased attendance issues, especially during times of crisis like storms and et cetera. The other thing I think about is, should we be thinking about offering childcare within our institutions at some offset rate or thinking about ways to, these are some of the barriers that we've seen specifically through the pandemic. And we talk about the literature around how this impacts different teams within our employees, right? Specifically women, which is what is in the highlighted in the literature. Also there's intersections of, of women and women of color. And, uh, and so that gets even more complicated, but thinking about, should we be thinking more globally outside of pharmacy, pharmacy technicians, and be really thinking about, solving this in a, in a more creative way, just so that we can have other tools in our belt. Lastly, when asked about the impact of the COVID-19 pandemic on job decisions, 52% of technicians responded that the pandemic has not influenced their decision to leave their job. 33% indicated that the pandemic has influenced their, their decision, and 15% indicated that the pandemic influenced them to stay. What are your reactions to these findings? And, you know, since the pandemic, have your perceptions of pharmacy technicians changed? So, you know, I'll kick us off on this. I think back to when the pandemic, when we got the week we got our index patient at Vanderbilt. Earlier that week, there was a tornado in Nashville that really affected a lot of our staff. And I was just amazed when I got to work that morning and saw three of our long-term technicians whose homes had been impacted, who were there at work because they knew there were patients that needed to be taken care of and they were on the schedule that was their role. And then the pandemic rolled in and, you know, we started learning about how to take care of COVID-positive patients and how to set up treatment centers and how to get medications to those centers and our technicians made that happen and i think back to you know our our storm that we had the bomb that went off in downtown nashville we had a cf patient that uh, used our specialty pharmacy who called the day after christmas when that happened and she was impacted by her apartment was blown up and she needed medications for her cf and so we had a technician that took the call and marshaled the team and, and got that patient probably $45,000 worth of drug for that month that kept them out of the hospital and at home and in good health, at least, for what they were trying to deal with. Our technicians help make health system pharmacy a team sport, and we can't advance the role of the pharmacist without having that technician foundation to, to support the nuts and bolts of getting the medication to the patient. So... My respect for the technician core, certainly at, at our hospital, has grown. Their resilience is amazing. What they're willing and able to do to support our patients and to support our, our team is just astounding. And it's very moving for me to think about the last two and a half, three years and, and the critical role our technicians have played. So just uh, respect out the wazoo as we stay down the edge. <laughs> Marco is very well said. And I think for me, it also has just grown immensely. A lot of my teams that I had at the time when the pandemic hit were coming into the office and we had to find ways to not have them in the office anymore. And I remember standing in one of our office buildings 
and our governor had just put the executive order out that you couldn't have more than 50 people in an area. And I remember looking right, looking left, saying that everywhere I look, there's more than 50 people right now. And we're going to have to figure out overnight how to move all these people home. And it, there are areas, and especially with our technicians, that we have not yet considered how would they even work from home. It, we had started to do work from home for select few groups, primarily salaried employees. And now I'm going to have to move all of our hourly staff, all of our salaried staff that are in this entire building home. And I would say that our technicians and our staff did it with such grace and flexibility. And I think we put a lot of trust in everybody and everybody pulled through to figure it out and understood that, you know, we have to make this transition. Let's work through a couple different options. It's not even a pilot. I mean, and and we love to pilot things and we can't pilot because you have to do it today and let us know if this works. Let us know if it doesn't work. And what do you need? You need a chair. I'll get you a chair. Do you need, you don't, a lot of our staff had desktops and we hadn't figured out a way to even get a desktop home. So do you have a laptop at home? Do I need to get you a laptop? And the, the, our technician team really helped figure it out. And we've been doing it for over two years at this point and it's seamless. And, and I give them all the credit in the world in addition to our, our managers that really helped work through all the logistics. And, you know, they've been working off of kitchen tables and other things. And uh, the first opportunity that we even have to bring them back into the office is this month. And so I would totally agree with you on, on all the pieces. And for me, I would say a lot of it is also our, our teams that have gone virtually. Thanks, Lindsay. I would like to add on to that, but then share our experiences from St. Luke's, which has been a little different than that in just that during the pandemic, when it quickly became clear that we had to figure out which roles could be remote to try to reduce the volume of people on the campus and such, we didn't really have technician roles at the time outside of a very few that were suitable for remote work. But we did actually have with the pharmacist. So then what we had is a situation where the pharmacists were a lot of them working from home and figuring out ways for people to work remotely, even doing drug patient care remotely. But when it comes to the, the drugs being prepared, the drugs being delivered to the floor, those technicians were coming in every single day to the institution. There are some of the, the workers at that institution that really were there every single day. People were scared during the pandemic. And there's been ongoing drug shortages. And now, you know, two years in, over two years in, we have this big shortage of technicians themselves. But that being said, the staff that we have, the, the people that we have, that they've been coming in there every single day, and we have not missed any patient care because of either of those two factors. And I think that for me, it's really highlighted just how vital, how important the role of the pharmacy technician is and how crucial it is to really the mission of our entire profession. I think that I would sum up the... Um, the profession in the, the one sentence to ensure that patients achieve optimal medication-related outcomes. I think that's really, in one sense, that's what all of us are here to do. And I think that technicians are so vital to that. There's no way that we can overstate the importance of that. Yeah, I'd agree. I think my perception has not changed. It's been validated. 
of the pharmacy technician, the resilience factor, the organization that they do, the solving problems that they participate in and help get things done in creative ways. We always say that, you know, if you want to find a workaround, you know the right people to go talk to, right? And, and you know, for good or bad or worse, or however you want to describe it, those are our technicians. We're going to figure it out. And I think that the pandemic has just highlighted that to a new level, whether it was getting the vaccine help and getting certification to help administer vaccines or doing the paperwork so that the pharmacist could focus on that and shift from filling to giving a vaccine and coming back and not have to worry about those, to your point, Jeff, getting patient optimal care and having that key player position. Um, The pandemic has really just heightened that appreciation for all that our technicians do, regardless of their role and position, right? And so that resiliency factor of well-being has really been a point of humility, quite frankly, as being part of this profession and being proud to be a part. Cheery But <laughs> I'm really proud to be part of this profession and to see the breadth of the technician and how they impact to support our clinical, our clinical clinicians, our pharmacists, and the advancements that we can do for that. We didn't have those technicians on the front line there. You guys would not be able to provide that wonderful care, that excellent care, top-notch care that we give to our patients across the nation in our health systems. And so I really feel like it's really helped solidify for me personally, why I continue to call myself a pharmacy technician and why I continue to advocate for our pharmacy technicians and why I continue to be part of this profession is because the resiliency factor, even as we heard today, we all won our award, right? From Paul this morning for our contributions and our strengths of being part of the pandemic work. And so for me, that's really what I have taken away from these last two years, even not being in direct patient care necessarily in my current role, but recognizing that what I do still impacts that. And it still allows the great work that everybody else is doing to flourish and continue to provide that safe, optimal care to our patients. What a beautiful note to end our podcast today. And unfortunately, that's all the time that we have for our podcast. Thank you, everyone, for taking the time to share with us your reflections on the ASHP Pharmacy Technician Shortage Survey have been very thought-provoking and rewarding to hear. To our podcast listeners, if you haven't before, I encourage you to check out ASHP's Pharmacy Technician Forum resources, which can be found at ashp.org backslash pharmacy technicians. I'd also like to share some of our member exclusive offerings that are available to ASHP Pharmacy Technician members that include over 40 hours of T-designated CE offerings via our continuing education portal, pharmacytechce.org, our pharmacy technician toolkits, the resume CV review program, monthly technician news links, and platforms such as the ASHP Pharmacy Technician Connect community, where you can exchange ideas and post questions with your peers. I'm Hannah Vanderpool, and thanks again for tuning in for this episode of Technician Tuesday. Be sure to subscribe to the ASHP official podcast for more episodes. Thanks so much for listening. This episode is part of a four-part series titled ASHP Pharmacy Technician Shortage Survey Reflections from the Pharmacy Technician Forum and Section of Pharmacy Practice Leaders Executive Committees. 
To hear more from ASHP, subscribe to ASHP Official for more Technician Tuesday podcasts. Thank you for listening to ASHP Official, the voice of pharmacists advancing healthcare. Be sure to visit ashp.org forward slash podcast to discover more great episodes, access show notes, and download the episode transcript. If you loved the episode and want to hear more, be sure to subscribe, rate, or leave a review. Join us next time on ASHP Official.